Bobby, I was really glad to see that you give uh, God praise for healing you, healing your back, <clears throat> because um, people go through life. I'm going to talk about opening the eyes of our heart, but there's 2% of people who will ever get their eyes open and will probably succeed in life. And uh, so there's an overwhelming belief that people, they, they confuse wishing with believing. And many, many people go through life just wishing better things would happen to them, wishing they could be a better person and et cetera. And they have really no power to shape anything. But the number of people who stop here are about 70%. They just, they got wishful thinking. And there's another one, it's about 10%. This is a smaller percentage, but it's, it's that, that wish is developed into a desire. And they want to they want the same thing consistently, but they, the end of their commitment is just, it, it's, it ends in nothing. Then there was another one, a still a smaller percentage developed their wishes and desires into hopes. And they dare to imagine from time to time that they might get what they seek. And this constitutes about 8%. And then it goes from a hope to a belief. An even smaller group translated that hope into a belief that they expect what they want, they will, it will actually happen to them. And that number is about 6%. But there's a greater number. The only 2% gets this faith going and operating in their life. And this, this faith is, is really, one, it's, it's more than just having faith. Let me just read to you this. Um, hey, Curtis, would you get my Bible in there? It's the black one. But I'm going to read to you in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, it's verses 32 through 40. See, it's more than just having faith. You've got to exercise. You've got to do something to get your faith moving and activated. So God wants to activate every one of our faiths. And again, faith is act. Many people believe Jesus for salvation, but they don't take it any further than that. Thank you, Curtis. <clears throat> but look at this in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, did, did I put that on a, Dylan? Yeah, there we go. Let me find it here. Verses 32. For time, uh, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, all who through faith, listen to this, they did something. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of the lions. Quench the violence of the uh, and a fire and escape the edge of the sword and out of weaknesses were made strong became valiant in battle and they turned to flight the armies of the aliens and women received their dead raised to life again others were tortured not accepting deliverance now I don't understand that one they were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might have a better resurrection Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned. That wasn't on drugs. They were just stoned. With stone. And they were sawn in two and tempted. They were slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They all did that in faith. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, because they were activating their faith, and they were energizing their faith through doing all these things, and then it says, all these obtained a, a good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise. And all these, and, and God having provided something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart from them. So we have obtained the promise. So this is why that we can even move into a greater dimension. And someone said, you know, if you, if you really want to just uh, reap for a day, then you probably want to plant a flower or plant a vegetable. But if you want to reap for a decade, then you plant trees. But if you want to, if you want to reap for eternity, then you've got to plant ideas. And God, I want to talk to you about that today, that the eyes of our heart would be opened. <clears throat> the Bible says in Matthew 6, 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. So when you healthy eyes are people that are focused on God's nature, the God's nature that's on the inside of them. And making something really clear to them. And you will find your purpose whenever you begin to focus on the nature of God that's on the inside of you. He's not way out there in the heavenlies. 
He's right here in your heart. God is with us. He is for us. He is in us. And this is why we've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit is also living on the inside of us. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. So we have the answers residing and abiding right on the inside of us, as near as the breath you're breathing. This is where you can find, as you activate your faith, you can, you can, you can find uh, insight and enlightenment for yourself. So I'd like to today, just hopefully I can get you to see yourself from another viewpoint. And I'm not talking about viewing yourself from the past to the present, because every one of us, we do that most of the time. And sometimes you live your life in regret, viewing your life from the past to the present. But I want you to see yourself. God views you from the future back to now. And there's better days ahead of every one of us if we'll just begin to believe that. So there's a need to see ourselves differently and to see others differently, really, and to see God differently. Let me just read this, uh, Matthew, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, uh, 17 and 18. Now, they were talking to the disciples, and they, they said, Is he saying this because we forgot to bring bread? And knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, Why all this fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you not see or understand that what I say to you, are your hearts still dull? Are they hard? You have good eyes, yet you still don't see, and you have good ears, yet you still don't hear. And there's, that's where a lot of us are today. We have good eyes, but we don't see what God's doing. We have good ears, but we don't hear, and neither would you remember. When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full were left over, and did we gather up afterwards? And they said, well, there was 12. And when I multiplied food to you and fed over 4,000, how many large baskets full of leftovers did we gather afterwards? And they said, seven. Then how is it that you still don't get it? I can do the same thing again if I need to. But yet every one of us, we, we just, we're looking back and we're saying, God, you're looking at your mistakes. You forgot to do this or you forgot to do something else. But God says, I want you to begin to look at the life that's on the inside of you, the mind of Christ that is on the inside of you. <clears throat> Our blind spots prevent us from seeing others as well as ourselves, as well as God, as we really are. Our blind spots. Perception, somebody said perception is reality. But Cooley had a looking, he's a psychologist, and he had a looking glass theory. He says, what we see in others is merely a reflection of what we see in ourselves. So we transfer what we see in ourselves to other people. And God doesn't want you to do, he wants you to see honestly and clearly. He doesn't want you to have a hard heart, a calloused heart. He doesn't want you to, he wants you to have faith in him. So perception is what we see in God. How do you think that uh, you see God? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the good and the evil. And so I'm thankful for that because sometimes as I'm listening, and very seldom do I listen to news, but occasionally I do. But whenever I see all these bad things taking place in our nation, I'm saying, God, where are you? It's time. Are you aware that inflation is going down here? You know, God, it doesn't, not one thing escapes God's eyes. Not even the inflation, not even the, the lawlessness, not even the border, and not even Ukraine. Nothing escapes God's eyes. So we've got to recognize that his eyes are everywhere, observing the good and the evil. And uh, so how do you see God sees you? How do you think God sees you? God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know my thoughts concerning you. They are good and not evil. They are thoughts of peace. To give you a future and to give you a hope or to give you the future you hope for. But we've got to, somehow you've got to activate that hope and turn it into faith. Because the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So why would you still uh, hope for things that you have? So hope is an unseen thing and it's good to have, but you've got to go ahead and press in and get God's faith to activate in your life. Amen? Because you know what? God says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. So if that be the case, then we've got to get our ways lined up with his ways, and we've got to get our thoughts lined up with his thoughts. Because the Bible says we have, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, we have the mind of Christ. 
But if you don't activate it and you don't use it, it's like having money in the bank that you never make a withdrawal on. So we've got to activate that faith and put it into use. Amen? How do you see yourself? How do you see others? You know, and how do we see where we are in our culture, our society, world events? And this is why, this is why, listen very carefully. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So you have the mind of Christ, you've got to renew that every day. You've got to have a renewal taking place. And by that, I mean it's a metamorphosis. It's like God didn't create you to crawl around like a worm. He he created you to fly like a butterfly. Amen? But there is a transformation that's got to take place in order from from the cocoon to the butterfly. And so you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and be in a constant state of of renovation. God wants you to be improving your life daily, you know, reading and studying and and having insights and revelation come to you. It's new strengths. It's refusing to stay stagnant, refusing to stay hard of heart. But God wants to give you new insights and perceptions. Can you say amen to that? The mockingbird, and uh, Jacob Hogg wanted me to say this last week, and I did, because he had the story about mixed up. But anyhow, the mockingbird can sing... In the dumps of Metamorris, as well as he can sing on the banks of Current River, beautiful Current River, it's the same song. And you say, well, why? Why? When that, if you're in a bank, if you're in the, in the dumps of Metamorris, I mean, isn't there like a negative attitude that's coming on? No, you know what? Because there's a nature that's on the inside of that mockingbird that's got a different nature. Then rather than allowing his environment and his surroundings to dictate to him the song that he sings, he's singing the song that God put in his heart. And so this is where you and I, God has put a song in our heart, and he wants you to sing that song regardless of the conditions of the world we're in. Regardless of whether we're at war and there's famine and there's chaos, inflation, gas prices are going through the roof. I mean, you can name everything that we go through, but I'm just telling you, God put a different song on the inside of every one of you because you've been born again by the Spirit from above. So we can't let, allow the, the concerns of our environment and our culture and our society because he said, I want you to know something. I want you to cast your cares on me because I care for you. Amen? So we got to do that. God isn't telling us to do something we can't do, but he wants us to live by faith, not fear. The nature of God is, is, not, is not fear. The nature of God is, he says, man, I want everybody to have faith. And he says, in reference to his second coming, will, will I really find faith when I come? So you've got to really keep your faith energized and keep believing God. The nature of God is he lives in us and he causes his life to move through us. And we are then made aware of his attributes, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his inexhaustible provisions for us. I mean, God, there is no, God is not a God of lack. And again, if we believe, yes, I do believe in, in storing food. I believe in, like, consider the, the ant, you know, he's not a sluggard. He stores food for the wintertime. And we do need to store. But on the other, when it come, boils down to it, you've got to recognize, my trust is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but I will remember the name of the Lord my God. And this is where you and I, yes, we are in dark times. But I'm telling you, there's the light that's on the inside of you. The nature of Christ is on the inside of you. And God wants you to awaken to that. You know what? <clears throat> the riches that are to be mined by the Holy Spirit as he pulls truth and faith out of us. You know, this is where we just got to allow, allow the trust in God. Some trust Again, trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not into your own understanding because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So let's try to tap in to the mind of Christ and tune into his thoughts and his ways and do things like he does. Amen? The all is well concept is where you know that all things are working together for good. And again, you can make that even the... the, the, um, the woman that had her son was dead, and he took him. She, she took him to the upper room, and laid him on the bed. And she went and got Elijah to come back and, and raise the child from the dead. So, 
but this is where, but whenever Elijah said, how's your son? How's your husband? She says, all is well. That's a statement of faith. And every one of us, we've got to make that statement of faith, knowing that even though the conditions around us may not be good, all things are working together for good. There's a synergetic effect whenever you begin to believe God and trust Him for your future. Amen? Let me give you an example of Albert Einstein. I think that he is one of the probably the smartest men that ever lived. And yet at the same time, I've been reading this book here about his life. And I find some really interesting things because I, read, I had read in, in times past that he was a non-believer. He didn't believe in a personal God. But he says, let me uh, just read this to you right here. Um, Martin Buber, who would pressed him with a concealed question about his faith, finally in Buber's words, Einstein burst forth revealing what we, and by this we mean the physician, a physicist strive for. He cried, it's just to draw lines after him, to draw after as one retraces a geometrical figure. And decades later, he was walking with a young student from Berlin University, and Einstein spelled out the same task in more detail. He said this, I have no interest in learning a new language, nor in food, nor in clothes. I'm not much with people, he continued. I'm not a family man. I want my peace. I want to know how God created the world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. Does that sound like an atheist to you? No. He sought to know and develop the quantum factor and the quantum theory. I mean, and someone asked him, he said, you know, would you come to teach us, these students say, would you come teach us about the quantum factor? And he says, I would love to, but I don't even understand it myself. And he's the one that, that developed this quantum factor. And again, it's, it's, it's sort of detailed, and, and I, I won't go into it right now, because I just want you, he went ahead and said this. <clears throat> he went ahead and said, he said, if I wasn't a Jew, I would be a Quaker, so he believed in God of the Old Testament. But you know, he says, I really want to know his thoughts. I want to know his mind. We have the mind of Christ. And God deposited in this wonderful man who developed so many things. Uh, I won't, I, I'm tempted to get into some of those things he developed as those theories. But because they're just absolutely fascinating. <clears throat> Let me see where we want to go here. He says, as to the spur which um, pricked men all, all men onward, that too was simple to explain. The important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when one contemplates the mystery of eternity, of life, and the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery each day. And he says, never lose a holy curiosity about that. So you've got to allow faith to kick into your life. And with that, with that phrase, he said, there comes a point in reference to science versus religion. And again, religion, I'm not talking about religion as, as, most, pe- as most people recognize it. He's, he, he recognizes that the science and religion can be compatible. Now, we're not talking about, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution where that there is the survival of the fittest, but we didn't, we didn't spring from monkeys or anything else. But, you know, there is this, this theory that, though, that, that you know, uh, the environment tends to dictate to us a lot of things. But, folks, you, we were created in the image of God, in, the, in His likeness. And he gave us the mind of Christ, and he wants us to use it. Once you've been born again, you have that mind of Christ. But there was a phrase that he says, there comes a point when the mind takes a higher form of knowledge, but can never prove how it got there. And now that's whenever you're born again, and you got a higher form of knowledge. You don't know how, you can't prove it. And he says, I can't prove that God does not exist. You can't prove a negative. But he says, I do know that there's these uh, unexplainable things of our universe. And so, and he began to develop that and he developed the mind of Christ through that. So I, last Wednesday night or two Wednesday nights ago, 
stay with me on this one here. <clears throat> I asked the question on a Wednesday night. Now, think with me. You think, let this go right to your heart. Have we ever created a condition in our mind that makes a particular result inevitable or unavoidable? I'm going to say that again. Now think about that. Have we ever created in our mind a condition in the mind that makes a particular result unavoidable or inevitable? Good or bad? Because as a man thinketh, where? In his heart, so is he. And I went on to say in reference to, to that question, Job 3.25, Job had created a condition in his mind that he says he, whenever he, he lost all of his family and his possessions and his kids, and he, he said, the thing that I feared has come upon me, and what I have dreaded has happened to me. So he created a condition in his mind that allowed the devil, the enemy to come in. And every one of us can do that. I also went ahead and, you know, there's a condition that we can create, a good condition in our mind. That was a bad one. Job created in his mind and he spoke it with his mouth, a condition that attracted much of the negativity in his personal life for a season because in the end it came out pretty good. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 is a positive condition that we can create or an idea in the mind or concept that all is well. It can be developed. Let me read that passage of Scripture. It says this, Therefore, if, any is in, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of, the, of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, and any affections and mercy, fulfill my joy by, letting, by being like-minded, like-minded, having the same love, being of one another and of one mind. Now, Look at this, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in all lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let. Let. Then he says in verse 4, let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. So in other words, you've got an outward focus, but it comes from an inward perspective. Perspective. And then he says, now this one, this will really knock you out of your seats because I don't expect anybody to get here today on this one. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, talking about a mentality, a mindset, a perception, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and he humbled himself. Uh, see, so it may, and took the, the form of a bondservant coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Nobody, we're not, we're not God, but he has put his mind in us. First Corinthians two, we have the mind of Christ. And so to him who believes, what? All things are possible. So we got to just recognize that we have the mind of Christ, but if you don't use it, it's, not, not, it's no better than not having it. So we've got to use that mind of Christ. So in order to get out of the basement of negativity and proceed to this upper room of positive mentality, we must let some things happen. Now the word, I looked up the word let. It means to permit or allow, to embrace, to develop. It means to relax or re release, let go of. Some people, you, you know, to trap a monkey, you got a co coconut and you put the bait on the inside of that. You put a hole through there. And whenever the monkey reaches his hands in on the inside of that coconut to get the bait, he will not turn it loose. And so this is how they capture monkeys. This is a negative example, but this is how that many times we can get a negative mindset and really we've just got this basement mentality. I mean, we're at the lowest level. But God says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the highest level. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Folks, did you realize we are children of the most high God? We are sons and daughters of God. And if that be the case, if that really be the case, we are sons and daughters, then whatever the Father has, I have. Whatever the Father can do, I can do. And whatever the Father wants me to do, He will empower me to do it. So you have the mind of Christ. You've just got to, so let, it also means to permit or allow, let loose of the natural mind 
and embrace the mind of Christ. It also means not to prevent or forbid. Here's another let in the Passion Version of Mark 11:22. In the Passion Version, it says, "We are there, you there yet, Dylan?" Well, could you maybe find it? <laughs> Mark, I did give that to you. Mark 11, 32, uh, 22. Here is another. Let the faith of God be in you. Let the faith of God. So you've got to permit or you've got to allow the faith of God to be in you. Now, whenever that happens, then that will remove, remove you out of this basement of negativity into the upper room of positivity. Amen. So this is where let the faith of God, because now, now stick with me on this one. Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says, now folks, whoever, is that you? That's all of us. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and you do not doubt in your heart, but you believe those things you say, you will have whatever you say. Now, that is the mind of Christ in operation. But before you get there, you've got to let the faith of God be in you. And again, that faith is just, it, it's, 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 it's not wishful thinking. You know, it's not even hope. But faith is the substance of, it's substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. So, I'm just telling you that there is, a, there is another level that we've all got to get to, this level of the upper room mentality, if you will. And so before these answers begin to appear in our lives, we must get into a mental level of the upper room thinking. Get out of the basement of negativity. Linda and I, we built, when we first got married, we built a basement. We lived in the basement for a long time. But we never got used to it because we kept thinking, you know, one of these days we're going to, I was going to college and working, uh, doing construction work at the time. But one of these days we are going to build on top. And so this is why you don't have to continue to live. Hey, this is where I've always been. My mama was a Democrat. My daddy was a Democrat. So I'm a Democrat. You don't have to stay there. You can move on to another level. And I'm not sure it's Republican either, okay? I'm not, I, I just think that there's another level that we can all get to politically, but I don't even want to get political on this because I want God to deliver every one of us out of our stinking thinking. God wants he'd pick you up to another level. Get into this upper room mentality. I mean, where, what happened in the upper room? They were all in one place in one accord and the Holy Spirit descended on them because they were in harmony, they were in unity and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 4, we can look it up. <clears throat> now, whether you're in the basement of negativity or in the upper room of positivity, positively mental attitude, either way, it's the same process of letting go of fear and doubt and unbelief. Turn it loose. Let it, let it go. And embrace the mind of Christ. Let this mind of Christ be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he will direct your life. You are letting the mind of Christ flow through you every hour of every day. And once that happens, and again, you're not even all the times aware of it. You, you just, you're involved in, in, in maybe your work, but then all of a sudden you, you begin to sing a song or you begin to, for me, it's just sometimes just praying a prayer. Just, and, and this is how I finally found out what it means to pray without ceasing. I mean, whenever my mind is sort of in neutral, I just begin to pray. And that's how, that's how you do that. So now, can I just go back and finish Job? Because at the end of the testings and trials that Job had, in Job 42.5, did I give that one to you, Dylan? Okay. <laughs> You're on the ball. Thank you. John 42, uh, Job 42.5 says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Hearing and hearing the word. And verse 10, though, says, Then the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, Job 42.5. Go back to that. I have heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now, now I see you. I know you. I'm able to recognize it and have a different perception of my life because I see you with my eyes. 
Now, the Bible says that no one has ever seen God. But he's really talking about those qualities that are, that are God qualities. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. So, <clears throat> then in verse 10, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had. Now, I want to deal with this thing about seeing for just a few minutes here. In Hebrews eleven twenty seven, I don't think I gave that one to you, but Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. There is a need to see God as he is and see ourselves as he created us to be and to see the greatness in other people. I'm telling you, every one of you, every one of you, You've got greatness living on the inside of you if you know Jesus. You've got so much goodness on the inside of you. And God wants you to recognize that. And just like that, uh, whenever we begin to recognize the goodness of God, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures for, forever. And the Bible and his mercy will be extended to all generations. I, I just find that is that's amazing quality about God. Now, in Matthew 6, 22, the Bible says that the eye is seeing now, the eye is the lamp of the body, and it gives light and insight to not only God, but to other people. And in Matthew 6, 23, it says, if the eye, or if your perception is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If it's good, your whole body will be full of light. Have you ever been around somebody, now you don't, and you, maybe you know them or maybe you don't know them, but perhaps I'm, th- I'm referring to the people that you don't know, there's, there's just an aura of darkness about them. You can't put your finger on it, you, can't, you don't know why it's like that, but you can perceive that something is not right. So, <clears throat> however, he says, if your perception and your outlook is good, your whole body will be full of light. If therefore... That the light that is in you is darkness. In other words, you've got, whenever it's darkness, he's talking about having a wrong perception, a wrong belief system, a wrong, a wrong outlook, or a negative outlook, or a negative attitude. If, if, if that is bad, and you, then how great is that darkness? Because you have the possibility to have light flowing to you. But whenever you allow the clouded darkness of negative attitudes come into your life and govern your thinking, this is where it really gets, you know, Romans 14, 20. I've always found this to be interesting. Now, every one of us, would you agree with me that not everything is pure? Everybody agree with that? Not everybody's got a a pure attitude or a, a pure heart, but blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Real purity is believing. Because let me go, Romans 14, 20, the Bible says, all things indeed are pure. Now, we, we just said that all things are not pure. But Titus two fifteen it says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who look at, are defiled and unbelieving. Defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and their conscience is defiled. But to the pure, all things are pure. Purity is believing, whereas defilement is unbelieving. Purity is not, it's not dirty, it's not contaminated, you're not polluted, you're not, you know, you're you're not defiled. That's purity. It's who you are in Christ. That is the purity. And he said, folks, uh, every one of us in here have sinned and we've come in short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But whenever we receive Jesus, we receive the purity of God and we receive the mind of Christ. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We've received so many things. But I want you to note something. Your purity should not make you proud or lead you to look down on others who have made different choices than you. That's not purity. You know, you just try to encourage people to, to be the best thing that God has created them to be. It's the acceptance of others and yourself as a unique person, uh, personality in all humility. 
God wants you to accept one another. Jesus said this, accept one another as I have accepted you. How is that? Without reservations. I mean, this, he, he just took you as you were. As a dirty, rotten sinner, and he cleaned you up. To, he made you a son of God and a child of the most holy high. Amen? This is, this is what he's done to us. You know, some people can believe God for the forgiveness of sins, and that's it. They can't believe God for their finances. They can't believe God for a harmonious relationship with their spouse. You know, they can believe God for salvation. But it's the same faith that you can believe God. We all, you know, we need to extend this belief to include all things that are unfolding as they should because we know that all things are working together synergetically for good. Amen? We have been, oh, this is really a good one right here. We have been translated out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have insight. We have revelation. We have the ability to see. You have the ability. I have the ability to see life from God's viewpoint. Did you know that? Everybody can see. And that God has created all things for his good. So see ourselves as sons and daughters and destined for the magnificent future. This is where God wants you to see yourself. Man, you have a beautiful future. So you're moving into it step by step, day by day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month, year by year. You're moving into your destiny. <clears throat> Isaiah 61 says, now, this is, let me just give you the uh, conditions of, this, of the time. The same, he says, arise, shine. Now, this is not a suggestion. This is, this is really a commandment. For your light has come. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But verse 2 says, For behold, darkness shall cover the whole earth, and deep darkness or misery the people. But the Lord will arise upon you. God says, I want, I want you to arise and shine because my glory is flowing through your life. And glory, yes, it does mean weighty, but it also means to represent better than the facts warrant. It also means to ever-expanding. The glory of God, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They're ever-expanding and increasing. And God is wanting every one of us mentally to expand and increase and enlarge your capacity to believe God for even greater things than you're believing Him for right now. Can you say amen to that? So we can create a condition in our mind that would nullify or prohibit or restrict God's from his, his power and provision to flow through us. How do we do that? By fear, by looking upon the same situation of, of our nation, looking at it through the eyes of fear, rather than through the eyes of faith, because we're ready to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is risen upon us, as opposed to the deep darkness that will cover the whole earth. And then verse three says, and nations shall come to your light. Once you arise and you begin to shine, but if, you're, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So you're going to have to have a positive mental attitude as we go forward. From this day forward, we've got to move into positivity, thinking, amen? So otherwise, negativity will overtake us. I want to close, uh, close this message with, with one funny story. It's John chapter 9. There's a couple of funny stories in here, but this is one of them. But the other one is whenever, you know, the donkey was talking to Balaam. How many believes that an animal can, can talk to somebody? You believe the Bible? Then this is what happened. But let's, let's look at this. This is another story that is really interesting. I'm going to have to put on some glasses here. <clears throat> and afterwards, Jesus walked down the street and he noticed a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked the stupid question. It doesn't say stupid. But teacher, whose sins caused this guy's blindness? Was it his own or the sin of his parents? Well, if he was born blind, he would have to have had to have sinned before birth. Right? So that was, that's the reason I say that's a dumb question. Then Jesus answered and he said, neither has happened to him so that you, neither. It happened to him so that you could uh, watch his experience, God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. 
Look at this. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. And as long as I am with you, my life and the light that pierces the world's darkness. And then he spat on the ground and he mixed it with the dirt and the dust and he, and he made a, a little spitball and stuck it in the guy's eyes. Wow. You believe that? Don't you think that Jesus was a little more couth than that? Spit in the ground, made a little spittle, clay, and, and stuck it in his eyes. And he, he went ahead and said, now, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the pool of Siloam. So he went and he washed his face and he came back and he could see for the first time in his life. To that day, his, the eyes of his heart as well as the natural eyes, they were opened this caused a great stir among the people in the neighborhood, for they noticed the blind beggar was now seeing, and they began to say one to another, Isn't this the blind man who once sat and begged? Some said, No, it can't be him. Others said, Well, it looks just like him. It has to be him. And all the while, the man kept saying and insisting, I am the man who was born blind. But now I can see. Finally, they asked him, what happened to you? And he replied, well, I met a, the man named Jesus, and he rubbed clay in my eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I went, went and washed, and while I was washing the clay from my eyes, I began to see for the very first time in my life. So the people of the neighborhood inquired, where is this man? He said, I have no idea, the man replied. So the people marched him over to the Pharisees to speak with them. And they were so concerned because the miracle Jesus performed by making clay with his saliva and anointing the man's eyes happened on the Sabbath day. And that day, no one was allowed to work. Isn't that amazing? They, want, they tried to nullify this man by just saying, you know what, not only this man Jesus you're talking about, he did this on the Sabbath day. He ought to know the Bible. And so he said, then the Pharisees asked the man, how did you have your sight restored? Second time they asked him. He replied, well, a man anointed my eyes with clay and I washed and now I can see for the first time in my life. Then an argument broke out among the Pharisees over the healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Some said, this man who performed a healing is clearly not from God because he did it on the Sabbath day. And you know, I agree with him. He was God and is God. It was God who did that. Because he was just God coming in the flesh and taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself and came obedient even to the death of the cross. He says, this man who performed the healing is clearly not from God. He doesn't even observe the Sabbath. And others said, if Jesus is just an ordinary sinner, how could he perform a miracle like that? This prompted them to turn on the man healed of blindness, putting him on the spot in front of them all, demanding an answer. And they ask, who do you say he is, the man who opened your blind eyes? Is he a prophet? The man replied, he's a prophet of God, the man replied, still refusing to believe that the man who had been healed was truly blind from birth. The Jewish leaders called for this man's parents. Can you believe this? To be brought to them. And so they asked his parents, is this your son? Yep. They answered was he really born blind? Yes, he was, they replied. So they pressed his parents to answer. Then, uh, then how is this that he's now seeing? And they said, we have no idea. They answered, we don't know what happened to our son. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak. How many times they already asked him? He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. Now the parents were obviously intimidated by the religious leaders for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus as Messiah, they would be excommunicated. Religion is always telling people where to get off. But I'm telling you, God is telling you where to get on. This is how you get on, is allow your eyes to be open and, and, and do not be intimidated by the devil or any religious Pharisees or attitude that you may have. Go ahead and let me read on here. Where did I stop? Well, I can't see. This is a little print there. 
Oh, here we go. I got it. Now, the parents were obviously intimidated by the Jewish leaders, for they had already announced to the people that if anyone publicly confessed Jesus, they would be excommunicated. That's why they told them, ask him. He's a mature adult. He can speak for himself. So once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness and said to him, swear to God to tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? The healed man says, I have no idea what kind of man he is. All I know that I was blind, but now I see for the first time in my life. But what did he do to you? They asked. Now, how many times are they going to ask this? How did he heal you? The man replied, I told you once, and you didn't listen to me. Why do you make me repeat it? Are you wanting to be his followers also? I love that. And this angered the Jewish leaders, so they, they heaped insults on him. And we can tell that you're one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses, but we know that God spoke to Moses directly. And now he healed and opened the eyes of the blind men. But now this time, we don't know where he is coming from. Well, what a surprise this is, the man says. You don't even know where he comes from. He healed my eyes, and now I can see. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he only Godly people who do his will. <clears throat> Yet who has ever heard of a man being born blind and, that he, and was healed and given his eyesight for the first time? I will tell you, if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to heal me like he has. And some of these Jewish leaders were enraged and they said, Just who do you think you are to lecture us about Jesus? You were born blind, a filthy sinner, so they threw the man out into the streets. Religion will do that every time. I mean, because you don't have all your life and everything put together and all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, you know, you're, they'll throw you out. But thank God, Jesus is a person just like you and I. He was the Son of God, became the Son of Man, so that we could become sons of God and open the eyes of our heart so that we could understand that we have the same capability and ability that, that Jesus had because we have the mind of Christ. Is that not good or what? Let me just, let me oh, no, I, I just want to finish this here, just a second. So they threw the man out in the streets, and when Jesus learned that they had thrown him out, he went to find him, and he said, see, this is what, Jesus is always looking for the outcast. He's always looking for the downtrodden. He's always wanting to make some, something out of a sow's ear, amen? He wants you to become like him. Wow. So uh, he says, do you believe in the Son of God and the man whose eyes were uh, the, whose blind eyes were healed, answered, well, who is he, Master? Tell me so that I can place my faith in him. And Jesus respied, responded and replied, you're looking right at him. He's speaking with you. It's me, the one in front of you now. Then the man threw himself at his feet, and he worshiped Jesus, and he said, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus said, I have come to judge those who think they see and, are made, and make them blind. And for those who are blind, I have come to make them see clearly. And some of the Pharisees were standing nearby, and they overheard these words, and they interrupted Jesus and said, You mean to tell us that we're blind? And Jesus told them, If you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed, because they could see as Jesus sees. But now that you reclaim that your sin remains with you, then but now you claim to see, and your sin remains with you. So congregation, isn't that an interesting story? How that religion tells you where to get off, and Jesus tells you where to get on. Speaking of that, I was reading about Albert Einstein, who had lost his ticket. He was on the train, and the conductor came by, and, and he said, um, he said, sir, come here, I see your ticket. He said, well, I'm trying to find it. He's looking through his briefcase, and and uh, he said, well, we know who you are. I'll come back later. So he came back by and he says, did you find your ticket? He says, no, I didn't. And he said, well, that's okay. That's no problem. He says, no, it's not okay. 
And he says, well, why is that, sir? He says, because I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know my destination. Congregation, every one of us needs to know our destination because we are born again and our destination is heaven. Amen? To those that have been born again, this is, this is what we have to look forward to. But salvation is more than just a ticket to go to heaven. It's more than a voucher to escape hell. It's, it's, it's really a way of life. It's a way of, per, of perceiving things and people and yourself, situations. Really, salvation is really... I've, Jesus said, I've come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. Man. God wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to have good things happen to you. Amen? And so this was the promise that really uh, 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 that has been fulfilled in our life and in our lifetime so that we can believe God and obtain the promises and escape the trouble that's coming on the earth. Trouble is coming. You all know that, right? And, but deep darkness, deep misery is going to cover the whole earth. But the eyes of God is upon us and where he wants us to arise and shine, become enlightened, become engaged, also become, have revelation knowledge flowing out of us and through us and to us. And this is what we got to do. Amen. Whew. I worked up an appetite. <laughs> if you don't think this is hard, you might want to try it sometime. Father, let's all stand with you, and I'll stand with you. Just stretch your hands forward right now. Father, I want to just right now bless this congregation with the ability to see inside themselves, to see the Spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ himself, it's on the inside of them. I bless them with the ability not to see all the negativity that's, uh, that's around every one of us, but, Lord, to see that you are doing something even in spite of that negativity. You are creating. You're wanting us to arise and shine and let the glory of the Lord come upon us. So, Father, I'm praying right now for insight, for revelation, for, these, for a correct perception, not only of themselves, but of other people, but it's surely a correct perception of who you are, Father. You are our Heavenly Father. You're a good God, and we worship you for that. So I bless them, Lord, with them to see concurrently and see concentrically, seeing who they are from the inside out. Because they're pure of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I bless them with the ability to see you, God, moving in their lives in every situation. I bless them with the ability, God, to be able to recognize and perceive that you, God, are even working peace out of chaos and confusion. And I thank you, Father, for just giving them a great day, a, a great afternoon, and I bless them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you receive that, say a big amen.